I'm the type of contractor, cabinet maker, woodworker that I always feel like there's a better way to do something. That's the voice of Matt Moore, owner of Matt Moore Designs. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Matt Moore, owner of the Northeast Florida-based furniture company, Matt Moore Designs. Matt officially started his company in 2010, but as you will hear, he has been involved in the building trades for literally his entire life. With his deep knowledge of the industry, Matt has dedicated his career to improving the builder-client relationship. He has made it his mission to not only look the part, of a client-centric company, but also to prove time and time again with his actions that for Matt, clients come first. And that is what stands his company apart from his competition. Follow along as we talk about working with your family, building a reputation you can be proud of, understanding your clients, and much more. Matt and I got into a lot in this episode, so let's start it right up and hear from Matt in his own words. So I was, I was raised in the trenches per se. Um, my parents used to build custom homes. They built custom homes for 35 years. You know, I was sweeping out houses when I was six or seven. I used to get dropped off at job sites in junior high and high school to do uh, wood floor and cabinets and stuff like that, you know, picked up after work. I went to college. My parents were always, um, my parents were always adamant on, you know, regardless of what you do in the future, you need to have a degree, you need to have a fallback. Um, so I actually went to school for graphic design, got an associate's degree in that, and then just realized that, you know, as good as I am design wise, I feel like I have a better grasp on more of the physical design and the woodworking side of things. And I decided to pursue that. So I said my company started in 2010. Uh, that is actually when I was legally allowed to have a job. And to emphasize on that, I was born in Canada. Um, and it wasn't until 2010 that I became a permanent resident here in the States and was able to actually work. And when I did that, I was able to set up my own LLC. I worked for my parents' uh, construction company at that point, uh, kind of doing kitchens, cabinets, uh, superintendent work and stuff like that. And then that slowly grew into doing all their custom woodwork. And then three years ago, I separated from that and I went solo and I've been running my company solo for the past three years. Growing up, 
really surrounded by the furniture industry, the building industry must have instilled a lot of a, lo- a lot of the, the good parts. But it also must have shown you the stressful part of the industry, because on job sites, you can't really show how stressed you are around the client, around your employees. But at home is where people unload all their issues and they get to decompress and they get to talk about what happened during the day. And yes, you talk about the good stuff, but a lot of the times it's more about the bad stuff. So you must have been hearing all of the bad stuff about the trades, about having your own business, about doing this, but you went into it anyway. What drove you to want to follow in the footsteps of your parents and that type of company? And how did you think at an early age that you were going to get over the bad parts of the industry? So you hit the nail on the head with that, man. Uh, growing, Growing up surrounded by it, you see absolutely every aspect. And, you know, being 16, 17, 18 years old, I'd be on job sites and my parents' clients and stuff like that would ask me, they're like, you know, are you going to take over the company? Are you going to follow in your parents' footsteps? And, you know, my truthful answer was absolutely not. You know, I'm 18 years old and I've been in this trade for 15 years and I've seen all of the stress and I've seen all the headaches and I've seen all of... um the negatives and the positives of it. But I think, I think where it boils down is you have to have a particular mindset to be able to see those negatives and see how it can positively affect you moving forward. And if you have that mindset where you can grow from those negatives, then it's going to pay off dividends in the end. You know, if you can look at one, someone else's stressful situation and gear your company moving forward to say, okay, how can I, do something differently to avoid that stress, to avoid a client's stress, to avoid the negatives that somebody else has dealt through, you know, then I won't deal through them. And, and for example, when I do, when I do kitchen renovations for clients, I've been in the trenches doing kitchen renovations for other people before where their biggest frustration has been people not showing up, nothing going on at their job site that day schedules stalling per se. And when I do a kitchen renovation, I'll tell my potential clients, my current clients and whoever asks that that is my single priority from the day I start to the day I finish, because I want to make sure that train keeps moving. My clients get from not having a kitchen sink to getting a functioning kitchen sink as soon as possible. And that way they can get back on their feet, get back into a functioning kitchen and they can move forward and And with that respect, that allows me to move on to the next job quicker because I'm not dividing my time between different jobs and, you know, running around like crazy and wasting time. It's kind of you get there, you start it, you finish, you move forward. I want to obviously get into your own company and how you run your company. But I want to just ask one more question about the family dynamic and and how working with your family went. There's the common saying that working with friends and family can get messy, and it it can. But you started your business working for your family and doing projects for them and doing more and more projects for them as your business grew. 
How did you navigate that aspect of the business, building your own business, but also working with your family? So yeah, man, the dynamic of working with family, that's a that's a question that it always gets brought up when I talk about my background. And and to say it was easy or to say it was smooth sailing was, you know, that's not necessarily the the answer that I would have. It's it's definitely difficult. I think the hardest part is your parents are always going to look at you as their child. Um, they're always going to have this subconscious understanding that they know more than you. So one of the hardest aspects of working with your parents or you know any family or friends in general is being able to express an idea that may challenge the way they think about a situation and have it be validated. One of my least favorite quotes that I used to hear is, you know, this is how we've always done it. And that's frustrating to me because I'm the type of, you know, I'm the type of contractor, cabinet maker, woodworker that I always feel like there's a better way to do something. So that constant evolution, that constant growth was very hard to explain to somebody who, for lack of better words, were just set in their ways. You know, they would just rather continue to do it the same way than to make that sacrifice to challenge the process to see if it worked better. Um, but outside of that, you know, there, there is some positives to working with family, you know, I mean, even taking days off or, you know, having children and stuff like that, you know, it, it's, it's a whole lot easier to go to your parents and be like, Hey, I just had a kid. Can I have a uh, three or four days off, you know, because they obviously they're not going to bat an eye on that, you know? So there, there is positives, there is negatives. I think in general, uh, starting off with my parents, it, it has a certain aspect of clarity into the back door of business. You know, if, if I started out working with a boss that I didn't have that type of connection with, I probably wouldn't have seen as many of the stresses and stuff that you previously talked about, which wouldn't necessarily open my eyes to how I need to be better in the future. Um, having that clarity into the process allows me to have a functionality, you know, to be able to change my processes to be the best business owner that I can be moving forward. Well, moving forward from working for your family to working for yourself and going out and getting your own clients, you had a portfolio already of things that you built and you had experience in the industry for being in it for so long, but none of that means anything if you can't get it out there and show people that you have the skills to build what they need. So what were your first steps when you went out on your own to start getting your name out there and get your own clients? So yeah, like you said, you know, building a, a previous portfolio, you know, having work to be done, having a client, I don't want to say a clientele base, but but having my name out there as, you know, someone who's done these projects before, it was all great. Um, but there also was that understanding that, you know, people say the first year as a company is the hardest. Um, but I think there's a, a different there's a whole different mindset where you're 
it's your first year as a company, but you've done it for so many years. You know, you're going into this thinking, oh, I got 10 years of experience. You know, let me just roll into this and and it's going to be fine. But it's you almost have to take a step back every now and then and go, even though you've done it for years, it's time to step back and realize, hey, this is your first year. You still have to pay your dues. You still have to do certain things. You still have to prove yourself. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that happens taking advantage of the opportunities you're given. You know, sometimes that means you need to, you know, go the extra mile on a, uh, on a project just to make a client kind of above and beyond. Like, you know, sometimes the first year you're going to, you're going to do stuff you're not necessarily getting paid for, right? Because you know, it's going to be a better end result. You know, the project's going to be better and that's going to, that's going to build your reputation. You know, I don't know how many times I had a client come to me and, and at the end of the job, they basically look at me and be like, Hey, this is more than I even expected. And that, that I believe is one thing that sets you, sets you up to move forward properly is, is if you set that expectation where you can deliver a design, you deliver the product. And at the end, their expectations are beyond what they thought it was going to be, then obviously you're moving in the right direction. Reputation is a big part of getting continued business, getting continued work, getting continued clients coming in the door. And and you always want to build on that. The foundation for your reputation, yes, it's your skills. Yes, it's what you're building, but it's also the name of your company. Your name really sets the stage for your reputation because it's what everybody's saying and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal in the beginning but once your name keeps circulating once your business name keeps circulating that is your business card that's your logo that's everything about you so you need to pick that name right and you went with your name you know, some people go with an abstract name for their company, but some people go with their own name. Why did you decide to go with your own name? And what did that stand for when you made that decision? So going back to my parents building homes, their their company always was more homes. Um, it started as Grand River Construction when they were in Canada because they lived on the Grand River, moved down. There was a there was a confusion with another company down here or something like that. So they set up a DBA as more homes. Um, I have been surrounded by a company and this is speaking on about my parents' company who in 35 years of custom home building, obviously social media was not a thing. Advertising was non-existent for them. They, they built a brand based on word of mouth, reputation and personality. And part of being personal in, in the trades that I'm in is a client feeling comfortable bringing me into their house. That is, that is literally where I make my living is going into other people's houses and, and making modifications. So to have the company name be my personal name, um, it's almost like that, that stamp on a finished project. You know, everybody talks about, producing a product like, Hey, that's got my name on it, you know? And, and my projects quite literally have my name on every single piece that I put out for them. And, and just like my parents did for 35 years, 
in the three years that I've been solo, I haven't advertised once. I have, I mean, obviously I have social media now and stuff like that, but realistically, I think I've only got one of my leads from a social media page. All the others are word of mouth and people talking to other people and essentially doing a project and then walking down the street of a neighborhood because this person talked to this person and told this person. And it's all about building that reputation that you talked about. You brought up that a lot of your business, a majority of your business revolves around actually being in somebody's home. And a lot of furniture makers, a lot of builders, a lot of people who are making things spend a lot of time in their shop. They spend it in their own personal space. They can set it up however they want. They can act however they want. They can dress however they want. But once you are more into the installation, you're more into the interacting with clients, you're more into the job site aspect of building, things change. You're in somebody's house and you have to act respectful in their house, not only with the interactions with when you go first to meet them, but also when you're building in their house, when you're doing work in their house. Those two things, one, how you personally showcase yourself by showing up to a client's home and talking with them about a project, and also how you protect their home when you are working in it. How do you do both of those things? So I'll say, first of all, presenting yourself. I thought about this when we were talking about the reputation question is a lot of your reputation is starting with, yes, your name, what people have heard about you, but it is also, you have to express that reputation to a potential client before you even meet them. You have to create a separation between you and the other similar companies that they're going to talk about. So to present yourself to them in a matter that is going to showcase that separation, you know, they may be talking to other companies that their salesman's going to show up in a t-shirt or their salesman's going to show up in a, you know, in shorts or something like that. But if you show up wearing an embroidered polo with your name on it, you show up with an iPad instead of a, instead of a, you know, folded up piece of paper to take dimensions on, you know, those little nuances to me are what are going to showcase to a client like, hey, this guy's this guy's a little more serious than the last people we talked to. And I also believe that having a deep knowledge of what you're presenting to a client also builds that initial reputation. You know, if, if someone asks you a question, especially about cabinetry, hey, how would you do this, this, and this? And if a, a salesman's like, oh, well, I'll talk to our sales team or I'll do this or I'll do this, you know, it doesn't give them that instant gratification. But if they, if they ask the same question say, hey, how would you do this? Where I can look at them and say, well, I do this for this, this, and this reason and give them exact reasons and exact processes and why it's better than the other. then that is something that also presents to them as, okay, this guy's knowledgeable. This company is reputable. He knows what he's talking about. He's going to be the one doing this. So now I have a good feeling. That has to, and I emphasize has to, roll over into your process when you start the project. 
because a lot of people can talk the talk, but it's not until you walk the walk that people are really going to understand you and really going to buy into that process. I've heard absolute horror stories from clients about previous contractors and stuff like that, where, you know, they come into their house and they start cutting out sheetrock and stuff like that with no drop cloths down or no plastic up or, or nothing like that. And, uh, and that blows my mind. Um, one of the things I always tell my clients and I always drive home with them is their home is the most valuable investment that they're going to make throughout their life, most likely. And it needs to be treated like that. So when I come into someone's house, first thing I bring in is drop cloths. You know, I line a walkway from the door to the project area with that way I'm never stepping on their, on their floors. General rule of thumb is you want to protect their projects. A lot of the time when I'm working in a client's house, we fully isolated the affected area with plastic. You know, we put up fast cap poles with plastic up so dust doesn't travel through the house. We seal off the area to not only protect from dust and contaminants, but to also protect their kids, their animals, all of that stuff from getting into the job site. The hardest thing about doing construction in someone's house is quite literally the fact that they will be living in a construction site. And if you can put up that essential barrier that separates their living area from, from that construction site, then they're going to be a whole lot more comfortable. They're going to be protected. And when they're not cleaning dust off of their dresser three, three rooms away, they're going to feel a whole lot better about the process at the end of the day than if, if uh, you did it the other way. There's the physical aspect of the building industry, and that is showing up on site and how you're dressed and how you're protecting the client's home. But since your business is all about word of mouth and you're trying to make those clients as comfortable with you as possible so they pass your name on to another person so you can keep growing your business you need to yes focus on the physical part but also on the other end on the communication part on the digital part on the keeping your client in the loop with everything going on so how do you go about that part of the business i would say the best way to make a client comfortable uh, with the communication and the design and everything is through clarity. It all starts with project inquiry forms, getting the questions answered that you need to be answered, uh, being clear and concise with all your digital communication, whether it's email, phone, phone calls uh, about potential schedule and when the project's going to start. You know, you can go to a client and say, okay, well, we're going to start in about six months. Or, you know, we're about four, four months lead time. But if you tell them clear and concisely, you know, I have these projects coming up, you know, continuously communicating with them on your schedule, they're going to be a whole lot more comfortable with that quote unquote heads up, you know, if you're constantly communicating. And then through the design process, using high end digital design software, being able to show them the exact rendering of their project it's, it's all about showing them what you're going to be able to provide to them and explaining it to them and being clear and concise. So once the design's done, I'm able to, I'm able to show them in their space exactly what we're going to do from 
you know, paint colors to appliance selections to cabinet hardware. Um, I can put in exact manufacturers, exact model numbers, exact color coding on paint colors and whatnot. And then even before the project starts, uh, having a really detailed laid out proposal of everything you're going to do on that job where it has in writing, you know, we're going to go in and we're going to remove the existing kitchen. We're going to move the sink to this location. We're going to, I basically call it the outline for the project. Um, being able to submit this paperwork directly to the client where they know, again, before we start construction, exactly what's going to happen. In association with the proposal, I also submit timeline for projects. Like I said, I only take on one project at a time. So I can sit down and say, okay, day one, we're going to work on this and this. Day two is going to be this and this. And work completely through the project, all the while continuously communicating with them that this is construction. There is potential of delays. Please be understanding of those. We'll try to communicate those as best as possible if they come up. But at least they have a grasp on what we're going to be doing, when we're going to be doing, and they understand the whole process because there's, there's a comfort in understanding. And the people that come to us for projects, they don't understand what we do. It is not their forte. It's not their profession. If it was, they'd be doing it themselves most likely, you know? So it's our, our responsibility to almost educate them on the process and on the product. So they have a comfort moving into construction. Being so communicative with the client is great and makes them feel like they're being taken care of and showing them the designs and going to the level of detail that you do taking their project before anything even happens and being able to show them exactly what they're getting is going to put their mind at ease and going to make them feel very comfortable about the project. But that takes a lot of your time. It takes a lot of your time to do these designs, to make these line items, to make this schedule. Where does money come into play here? Where does that first deposit happen in this process and how do you have that conversation about money with the client conversation about budget with the client to make sure everybody's on the same page before any time is wasted on your end or the client's end i would say getting money from a client is one of the most constantly evolving process of my company. And I think a lot of that has to do with how things have changed price-wise over the past couple of years. I used to do free consultations that come with an initial design and stuff like that, which like you said, that it takes a lot of time uh, to produce these things. The question as far as budget, that comes in day one. Like I said, that, that Google document that I send that gets their name, their address, all of that, it has a question that says potential budget. That may be a number that they're trying to stay under. That may be a number that they think it's going to cost. But what that does is that opens up the line of communication with that client about budget. If a client's coming to me and they want a custom kitchen and they say their budget's $5,000, I know there's no chance that that's going to happen. But if they come to me and they go, yeah, we're, we want to be between you know, 25 to 30, then it's like, okay, 
they're, they're understanding, they're in a realm. We can start the conversation and start explaining things. As far as receiving money, there was a time where I sat down early on in my company, I think it's the first six months or so, and I basically made a checklist of the processes that it takes at the beginning of a job. You know, initial phone call, email response, sending a Google Doc, consultation, design, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I looked at that and I said, okay, where are they paying me? And I realized it was halfway to two thirds down the list. And I said, okay, something's got to change. So initially I was actually doing free consultations, which would include a design and an estimated cost. Um, Because of the increase in cost lately and all of that stuff, I'm starting to charge a consultation fee. So that is basically anything outside of me leaving my office, I have to be reimbursed for because my time is money. It takes gas to get to these projects. It takes time to meet with clients. I'm bringing samples, all of that stuff. The consultation fee also covers that initial design, being able to submit a picture of what we're going to do with an estimated cost where they they have that relationship between how much something's going to cost and what's included. From that point, when they have that estimation, I then charge a design fee. Typically, that's 5% of that estimated cost. And what that does is it not only locks the project in next in line in my schedule, but it also covers all my computer time, making changes. It's an additional client meeting to go over the design and walk through it and say, okay, do you want to put drawers here? Do you want to change this? Do you want to change this? It's all about covering my time. I've had people tell me, how do you keep people from getting upset asking a 5% deposit just to design the project? And my answer is very simple. If someone has an issue paying you 5% to design a project that will then get taken off the end of the project, they're going to have an issue paying you the final 10% that you're owed when the project is finished. If any client has an issue paying money for someone's time, that's not a client that you want to work for. You do pretty big projects. The projects that you're putting out there that you finished, they're projects that a, a full team, a large team would take on, but you're doing them basically by yourself. And your shop is not a giant shop. It's a a relatively small shop for the type of projects that you take on. But you make impressive stuff, big projects out of that shop. How do you structure your time in the shop and also the actual organization of your shop to be able to do so much? Yeah. So people come to me all the time and they're, they're blown away by the scale of the projects that come out of this shop. My current shop is, I think it's 19 foot by 22 feet, uh, very small, very organized for the size that it is. But the general rule of thumb of being a small business, right, is wearing many hats. Shop balance is the same thing. Every square footage of that shop needs to have multiple uses, whether it's a tool with built-in storage underneath of it or you know, my drying rack, for example, I have a wall with my clamp racks on it. And my drying rack for finishing is essentially removable. All of the 
poles that I'll set doors on for finishing and stuff like that. They can be taken out, stacked off the side, and it doesn't take up room in the shop. So as far as shop functionality, it helps when you only take on one project at a time uh, because the material comes in, you process the material, you build the project, whether you need to store it. Um, I've stored it offsite in a storage unit before. I have a couple of rooms in my house, including my office, that I often store parts of finished projects in just to protect them until install. But being able to control that step one to step final on one project at a time really helps the efficiency of the shop. On the administration side of it, I would say that is the one part that I struggle with being a one-man shop. People tell me all the time, they're like, oh, you need to hire help in the shop and this, this, and this. And honestly, I don't think it's, it's shop help that I would ever hire, or at least initially it would be more administration help, you know, design work, communicating with clients, stuff like that. Because the downfall of being all hands-on is if you're answering emails, you're answering phone calls and you're doing designs, the projects aren't getting done. If you're getting the projects done, you're not answering phone calls, you're not doing designs, you're not scheduling for the future. So it's all about a very delicate balancing act, um, to do it all at the same time. Often, often that looks like, you know, getting up at 4.30, five o'clock in the morning, doing design work, filling out emails, scheduling, send emails. So you're not emailing clients at five o'clock in the morning. It goes out at 8 a.m. So that way, by the time I'm in the shop, these emails are automatically sending themselves. It's, it's always, it always feels like you're juggling, but at the end of the day, I can sit back and say, you know, I was able to control the quality of this project because I had my hands on every single piece and the accountability for the final project is only on me and me and myself. People always talk about in this industry, the stuff that they're building and what it takes for them personally or their team to build something and put it out there. But a big part of this industry that not a lot of people talk about is the things that you can't build yourself, the hardware, the knobs, the finishes, all those things that you get from somewhere else that comes into your shop already made. And that is through stores and through reps and building both of those relationships, relationships with a store or relationship with a rep is of utmost importance when you're trying to streamline your building process as much as possible. How have you built relationships with both of these parts, the stores and the reps, to be able to run your business as smoothly as your own building part of it? So I would say that's a two-part question, right? I'll separate the reps from the stores and by stores all include, you know, lumber suppliers, sheet goods suppliers, cabinet suppliers, uh, stuff like that. The relationship with my stores, my, my lumber and cabinetry suppliers, I think that started before I was a standalone company. Those are a few of the connections that I had working with my parents' companies that I was able to continue and take to the next level. 
Um, when I did decide to go on my own, I basically went to every supplier that we had used that I knew I was going to want to use in the future. And I sat down with my rep at that supplier and basically said, look, you know, this is what's going on. This is why they're no longer building houses. I'm going to move in the direction of the cabinetry solo. I'd like to continue working with you guys. Can I fill out an account? Can I do this? Can I do this? Once you make that initial contact, I think it comes down to, it comes down to loyalty. You know, people don't want to go out of their way for you and then see you running to somebody else. Right. So it's all about making those connections and standing with those connections. Now, obviously there's, there's a delicate line there where if, if a certain company cannot get a product or a fixture or something like that, obviously you have to find what you have to find for the project you're building. But I think as far as a, a salesman, if you communicate that with a salesman and say, look, I'd like to get this product and they come to you, oh, well, we can't get it. You know, you basically tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I got to go somewhere else just to get this product, but, you know, I'll make sure I send you the next one. And I think that goes a long way. As far as setting up relationships with reps, this year, I've really tried to take that on. I really haven't had a lot of experience with reps in the past. And this year, I've really tried to push that a little bit more. Going to IBS this year, the International Builder Show, um, I made a, made a point to go down to Orlando to make these connections, especially, like you said, hardware. When you talk to any cabinet manufacturer or builder in the country over the past two years, that is the sorest subject that you can bring up with them finding drawer slides, finding hinges. It's next to impossible these days. It's, it's very difficult. Um, so to go to a show like IBS, the International Builder Show, which was also in conjunction with the Kitchen and Bath Show, talk to these reps, talk to these companies, express your, your points of view and your struggle, especially coming from a small company because they're used to dealing with nationwide cabinet manufacturers and they're not used to hearing from the one-man shops from Northeast Florida. And um, so to be able to express your concerns and see how they react to them, it kind of guides you in a way that you think you should go with your company. Anybody listening to this knows that you put the client first, that you are all about customer service and making sure your client is happy. But they also hear that you have a strong grasp on this business from growing up in it with your family to doing it for yourself for a number of years now. So you know the ins and outs of this industry and you know that taking care of clients is great, but you also need to take care of yourself. You need to protect yourself and protect your business and protect your money as much as you're protecting your reputation and your client's happiness. So how are you taking care of yourself? What kind of contracts are you putting in place? What type of things are you telling the clients from the very beginning to make sure that at the end of the project, everybody walks away happy? I would honestly say that's probably one one place I need to grow as a company is with the contracts and stuff like that. I do submit a very detailed proposal in which the client signs. 
that spells out every aspect of the job. It spells out when payments are due, at what stages, stuff like that. I think as far as making sure that everybody's happy at the end of the day, I think it, it goes back to that uh, clear communication, being able to tell a client, hey, this is my responsibility. This is your responsibility. When your countertops get set into place, you owe this much money. You know, if that's not paid, we won't be here tomorrow. <laughs> um, that type thing. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all about building those relationships. And I think a lot of the processes I do up front, weeding out particular clients has really aided me in not having a lot of those struggles. I really haven't had those people that fight to pay me my final bill or fight to do this. It, it always gets to the end of the project and they're so thrilled that it's never a concern. But I know there's going to come one day where there potentially can be. And uh, that's, that's one, one area that I need to grow and I need to evolve. I need to really dial in a business contract um, where I have some, I guess, legal backing to protect myself moving forward. And then obviously to protect my clients, you know, I have every insurance that I need to have and all of that stuff. So that's just general, general business in Florida is having liability insurance and, and all of that. Weeding out clients from the very beginning and knowing that it's not going to be a good fit is a great way to ensure that there's going to be less friction as the project moves down the line. But the idea of telling a client, no, I'm not going to work with you is hard because that is money that you see that could go in your pocket, but you're turning it away. How are you deciding, number one, that the project and the client isn't a good fit? And number two, how are you telling those clients that it's not a good fit while still trying to keep your good reputation? Ironically, this is a, uh, a very good week to ask that question. I had a situation this week where a potential client was upset on how long it took to get a design. And based on their reaction, I could basically tell like, look, this, this isn't going to be a good fit. Um, sometimes it's, it's the little things they say when you're talking about the projects. If you go into a kitchen remodel and they just want to add some doors and not replace the countertops. And you can almost tell where they're picking and choosing what they do based on the, uh, the price they want to pay, even though they're not saying that you can, you can kind of feel it out. But the, the one thing that I've really tried to instill in myself this year is that it's okay to say no to these projects. It's okay to say no to these projects. I thought about this this weekend that clients search out companies to use for their projects. They make a cognitive decision to say, hey, I want to use this, this company. But not a lot of people think about the fact that that company has the same cognitive decision to say, okay, we want to use this client. And that's kind of a bad way to word it, but that's the way it goes, is we have to make the decision and we, we have the right to have as much of a decision to use a client, to work with a client as they do to use us to work with us. 
So it's all about, you know, sometimes it's about gut feeling. Sometimes it's about, you know, you just know, like for me, for example, I don't do a lot of kitchen reface jobs. I won't necessarily go in and paint boxes and add new cabinet doors to it. You know, so I know if someone comes to me for a reface job, you know, that's, that's not really what we do. Those are the easy ones to turn down. Some of them are just, you know, some clients have unrealistic expectations. And I think at that point, you basically sit them down and say, unfortunately, I can't create the project you want to create for the budget that you have. If you want to make certain changes, then we can make certain changes. But if there's certain concessions that have to be made, if you're not willing to make them, then we can't, we can't move forward. And it's, it's all about just communicating that stuff. Sometimes it's a little more difficult than others. And sometimes it's a little more clear cut. You've grown up in this trade. You've grown up around the idea of building and furniture making and installing and all of that. And so you have the experience behind you and you and you know, even before you stepped into your own business, you had an understanding of the industry. There are people out there who are looking to get into this industry. They want to do what you do and have their own company. And then there's also people who might be like you, who have done this for a long time and who have the experience, but they feel like their business is at a plateau. It's not going to the places that they think it should. So from your experience, What's some advice that you could share with people listening that you've learned over the years to take your business and not only have it run, but have it run successfully? Man, I've never felt like I'm the one to give advice, Um, but I would say my best piece of advice, if you're looking to get into this type of company, is to have a set standard for yourself and for your product. And that's going to eliminate a lot of the struggles. If you have set standards on what you want to produce, the level of work you want to create, that's going to eliminate a particular client base. That's going to eliminate particular advertisement um, outlets. That's going to eliminate a lot of stuff that a lot of people would, would fret upon. For example, I do not advertise on Facebook at all. Um, I just know that my product is not going to compare to everybody else on Facebook. So there's no need for me to be out, out there. We do have a Facebook page. It's basically just a funnel for everything we post on Instagram. But it's all about the level of work that we want to create. Our Our ideal product is someone who has invested in a house that they're going to be there for quite a bit of time and they want a higher end product that they can be proud of for years to come. And we're not going to compete with, you know, box store cabinets. We're not going to compete with these cabinet companies that have 15 install crews. That's just not who we are. So I would say you just, you dial up what standards you want to live by and you hold true to those and, it'll fix a lot of questions for you. For somebody who feels like they're not the type of person to give advice, you are sure giving a lot of great advice. And 
I really want to thank you for that. And I really want to thank you for your time and for sitting down with me and sharing your experience and your journey through this industry with everybody listening. It's it's a lot of a lot of important stuff that you shared and thank you for your time and I wish you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thanks man, I greatly appreciate it too. I enjoyed uh I enjoyed talking with you and I enjoyed being on. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I said that I shouldn't be the one to give advice, but it's all about, you know, there's a certain level of humility in what we do and if you can stay humble and and put your core values ahead of a lot of things you're going to go far in this uh in this trade thanks so much for listening to building a furniture brand with ethan abramson if you liked what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen to learn more about the show you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime to say hey ask a question or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.